Today we are continuing our series called Growing Up Together, knowing that it is perfectly normal for us to expect growth, for us to seek growth, and uh, to begin looking at where we are with the Lord. But here's the thing about growth. Growth doesn't just happen as all of a sudden there was nothing and then there's something, well, it's hard for me to explain this. In order for something to grow, there first has to be the birth of a new life. There has to be something that once wasn't that now is. And, and to see that grow, it has a starting point. Like an initiating point. And today as we look at what it means to grow, the last few weeks we've looked at what Jesus was saying to His disciples in those days He was with them after His resurrection. Jesus had walked with His disciples and were teaching them what they needed to know over a period of 40 days. But then in the last, the next 10 days, He would send them back to Jerusalem and they were to pray and awaiting a promise. And, and the promise was this. Something new is about to happen that has been unseen before in at least this level. Something new is going to be created and it is for your benefit that I am going away. And and just think about that for a moment. Jesus tells His disciples it's actually for their benefit that He is going to go away and send someone else. I mean, what could be greater than having Jesus with you? I mean, how many of you would say, you know what, I'd probably be a better disciple, a better follower of Jesus if he was standing right there next to me. I mean, wait, think about it. Because then I could be like, well, I can't do this, but watch what Jesus can do. I mean, you're, I could say bless you when you sneeze and have a cold and, you know, tell my kid, go get some hand sanitizer. But Jesus could say, cold, you're done. Flu, no more. Cancer, be gone. What could be more? And yet Jesus says this is for our benefit. And it will be something mighty. And so today we're going to look at that something new. I'm going to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Acts. Sometimes called the Acts of the Apostle. That's the long title that you find in some uh, English translations of the Bible. But the book of Acts is how we have come to know this history book. The one history book in the book in the New Testament. And if you're following along in one of the copies of our Pew Bibles, uh, just to give you the short finding, if you're trying to find where that's at, page 966 and 967 are where we're going to be today. And the Scripture will certainly be on the screen, but I want you to get to this starting point, or, or at least this cataclysmic turning point. Like, like what was different from this day to this day And what happens here starts off the growth of the church together with the birth of something new. And as you think about it, think about what it means to be a part of the church and your viewpoint on the church and how you may have a perspective from whenever you're younger or where you are today, but also remember that God is very good at shaping our perspective anew when we read His Word. So stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word. Now, we're going to be studying the book of Acts chapter 2 for a couple weeks, um, this week and then the week after the evangelist is here. But I'm not going to read the entirety today uh, because I know we have some some uh, 
It's a long book. It's a long chapter. So we're going to look at the first 12 verses. See, I can give you a break. I'm, I'm a good pastor sometimes. All right, here we go. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. They were all, that's a key word there, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. Now, there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astonished and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? And here is a note for you. Whenever you're reading these names we're about to see, because sometimes you look at them and like, I'm not even going to try. Just declare it with boldness and confidence and pretend like you know what you're doing. And somebody else will look and say, well, maybe I've been saying it wrong. So here we go. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and, and Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for incredible grace that you give to us. I thankful for the incredible gift of your word so that we may know you and your grace that we may respond to the news of your gospel, that we may live according to your glory, that we may be restored by your goodness. And so today, Lord, as we take your word, may we be faithful with it. Help me be your servant that is speaking just merely what you declare for me to speak. Hide me behind the shadow of your cross and in the presence of your spirit. May you teach us all about what it means to grow with you together. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, we get to this place in the Scripture, and we start reading, and when you get to the book of Acts, especially Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and then looking at the book of Revelation, might be the most inquisitive, curious parts of the New Testament. Because when you're reading these things, you begin looking and saying, all right, I don't see this kind of stuff in my everyday viewpoint. It's not like I have contact with these scenarios. And there's some symbols that really get me confused. And you may be left thinking with the same question that the people in this moment were asking. What does this mean? And all of us are faced with that question at multiple times. 
But here, as we look at the Scripture, we're looking at what it says. That's a part of, of knowing and understanding the Bible by reading it and, and spending time there and having a daily nutritional habit diet on the Bible. But also, what does it mean? We're going to look at this and see how this part of the book of Acts, which is uh, tributed to the the writer Luke, who was a physician and, and seems to be a historian by trade. He was a companion of Paul during much of the book of Acts that you'll see. And he writes these, these accounts and records and does research and investigates what's been going on with the church from the point of 33 A.D., A.D. meaning Anno Domini, year of our Lord, it does not mean after death, by the way. I know we see before Christ, A.D. does not mean before after death. It means Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. In other words, the calendar being reset by Jesus, we base the calendar on that time frame. But in those times, and, and this records basically a segment of space of about 30 years, somewhere between 33 A.D., when Jesus ascended into heaven, and about A.D. 62, when Paul was imprisoned in Rome. It records to us about 30 years of time in a very compact, succinct way. But in it all, all of it is emphasizing the work of God through the Holy Spirit in the lives of people who devoted themselves as followers of Christ Jesus. And Acts talks about this and gives us these, these glimpses of what some of the early apostles were doing. It doesn't tell us every apostle's deed, but it shares with us about um, people like Peter, People like Stephen, people like John, and people like James, and people like Barnabas, and people like Paul, who would come about later on. And it focuses on what it means to be a part of the church and how the church is on mission through the work of the Holy Spirit. And then we want to know how does it apply. We're going to get to those in, in this particular passage in a moment. But a question that needs to be hanging over your head along with the what does this mean, is will I trust what God is saying to me? Because I know that many of us come to church and we're looking for answers where, where sometimes we'll accept invitation because we want to be friendly, but also because of curiosity. We want to know what, what's going to be said there and how would this even impact my life. And I will tell you, the way it will impact your life is not through gaining a little kernel of knowledge that just tickles your intellect, or by giving you an entertaining story, or giving you the warm fuzzies. It could be all those things, but what happens that changes your life is embracing and applying the Word of God. Saying, I will trust what the Lord has said. And when we're not willing to do that, we can automatically almost just, I can tell you, can almost just forgo any life transformation that will happen other than I went to church today and I marked it on my calendar. When we trust God and follow Him, even though we may wonder, what does this mean? It gives us a new life, a new des de uh, direction and destination. Today, as we look at this particular text, we're going to see how it applies and whether we're going to trust what, it follow, what, it, what Jesus said to follow. We're going to see how the Holy Spirit empowers us to grow in our walk with Christ and to share the Gospel. You see, we cannot grow with Jesus until there's life with Jesus. As a child, you did not start growing until you were conceived. It's kind of the way it goes. Because before that, you weren't. 
After that, you work. Life began at that moment. And then it proceeded through birth and infancy and all the beauty and of being a teenager as a toddler and then being a child and then all the beauty of being a teenager and then as adults as you continue growing however the Lord would lead however long that the God has provided. The same is true with the church. You may gain, and I want to be clear here, there's a difference in gaining and growing. You may gain knowledge. You may gain behavior modification. You may gain a culture. You may gain a program and a strategy, but you do not grow in life aside from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Because that is where life comes from in Christ. So here we see the disciples. They have been followers of Jesus. God has given them a glimpse of the Holy Spirit. He's breathed on them. We see the book of Luke chapter 24. And they've received a portion. But they're waiting for something in full that will be something new. And here, as they're in the city of Jerusalem, something else is going on. I know that we hear the word Pentecost, and sometimes that's a weird word in a Baptist church. Even though whenever you open up the hymnal, and I forget what hymnal is, I think it's 242, it may be called Pentecostal power that's in the Baptist hymnal. I could be wrong, it may be something else. But it is in there, especially in the one we have. It's the 91 hymnal, so I know it's in there. And uh, we wonder where that word comes from. Is that like a brand? Is that like, should we just be wearing jean skirts? Or, or what does that look like? And I'm not, I'm not making fun of jean skirts. If you have a jean skirt, that's great. I wouldn't wear it, but that's just me. And you probably wouldn't want to see me wear a jean skirt. Um, see, I'm not, I'm not going there. My wife gave me the look like, I don't want to offend any Duggar fans in here either, so. <laughs> All right. But that's not what the word is about. You see, Pentecost is not some brand of denomination. Pentecost was a marker, a day on the calendar. The Jewish calendar, the first of the year, began with Passover. As they celebrated it, when we talk about the book of Acts, in the book of Exodus, I mean, when we talked about the book of Exodus several months ago, the Lord designated that that festival, that time, that remembrance of their deliverance would be the beginning of their new year. And their calendar was very much agricultural. It was a lunar calendar, and it would go through seasons. So every seven days uh, would be a marking of a week, and then 28 days would be a month. And in that calendar, the Lord set certain festivals. So Passover is in the spring, make seven weeks, and you'll start seeing the first harvest. And with the first harvest, you celebrate to the Lord of the first blessings He has given you from that harvest. And that would be the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks. Add a day for the, the Sabbath to, to complete, and you get 50. Pentecost, 50 days. And so this was when God was using this. It was, it was a strategic moment. We've been teaching our kids that when Jesus came, it was the perfect timing that, that, that the world was speaking, the civilized world was speaking a common language, that of Greek. 
Uh, the Roman world had the largest empire of the day. The roads were capable of delivering the message and the news to various parts. That Jesus came in the fullness of time. That, that God does not just haphazardly choose a day. No, He has an intentional plan. And here He uses the Feast of Pentecost to bring about this moment. It's about 120 disciples are gathered in an upper room to pray. Many believe it's the same upper room where Jesus had the Last Supper with His disciples. And in this moment, the Holy Spirit is going to compel them to release the Gospel and the church is going to be born. Now, when many of you see something about new birth, a question may be uh, coming up in the back of your head. What does this mean now? I remember when my my beautiful bride, my uh, as I told people embarrassingly, my smoking hot wife, and uh, I said that this morning. I was looking at a picture she posted on Facebook from yesterday, and she looked really good. She she always does. And uh, I said, man, I have a smoking hot wife. And my barista at the coffee shop was like, good lord. <laughs> and I'm like, you're a preacher. And I'm like, yeah. But I remember the day that that she first laid that uh, little present in front of me. It was like some little small jewelry box, and I opened up, and there was that pregnancy test. And I mean, I, I sat there and I smiled, and I was full of joy. But in the back of my head, I was like, oh, "What does this mean now?" I mean, I know what it means. We're going to have a baby, but I, I mean, I, I, I'm not that that you know, <laughs> senseless. But what does it mean now? There's a new phase in life. And so here in this moment, there's a bunch of things that are happening. And we first have to look at what happened and then see why it's significant. So first of all, what happened? Let's look at the incidents of Pentecost. The Feast of Weeks is celebrating the harvest. And in the middle of that, there's all of these people that are there. And, and, and we'll talk about them in a minute. But then there's this sound. So there's these... There's these three things that happen that is pretty compelling for people that are there. There's first the sound of this mighty, violent wind. And, and so I, I, this is not some, you know, gentle breeze. The Bible says it is the sound of a violent wind, rushing wind. Now we've had some pretty doozy windstorms here. Uh, but I don't know how big of a sound this is, but in my head, I'm thinking tornado level. Any of you ever heard a tornado? Let me tell you, if you've ever been around one, it's quite noticeable. It will leave an impact on you that that is distinctively a different sound. If you've ever slept or tried to stay awake during a, the onslaught of a hurricane, rushing winds, that is a distinctively different, very curiosity upbringing sound. You just want to know what's happening. And after the sound, you want to go see what it left in its trace. I, I will be honest, it's, it's silly, but it's one of those things that we Mississippi boys will do. If we knew there was a, a tornado in our area, the next day, if it didn't hit us, you know what we were doing? Let's get in the truck and go see what it did. Hopefully it didn't hit anybody, but you would go find the big swath of land that it cut through in the woods. Making sure it had hit somebody like your mom and them. You know, that kind of thing. That would be what you did because the sound, it drew you out. And this is what they're doing. The city is coming because this is sound. And what is that? 
But then there's the sight that is going on for the church. There's the sound for the people, but there's the sight for the church that there's these tongues of fire and they're coming down from heaven and they split apart and descend on every single person. Now, I have no idea what that would look like to be in the room. The Bible gives us the, the picture as they describe it, but we do not know. There's many artists that tried to attempt it, but we weren't there. But it was evidently something worth writing that there was fire falling from heaven. I don't care what who you are, that is rad. That is cool, right? And scary maybe, but if it's fire and then it hits you and like, oh, I'm not dead. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> and so there's this demonstration there, but then there's the speech. And I know lots of people get hung up on this when it comes to the different denominations and that kind of thing. But I want to be clear here that there's a speech that's given to these Galilean believers and the people that hear them are understanding that they are speaking in their native language. These were known languages being given to the Galileans so that the Gospel could get to the gathering. And... It's this incredible incident that you see in the first 13 verses of chapter 2. But it's so curious and so bewildering and so strange. They hear this sound of clashing and mighty rushing wind. And then there's this sight. And obviously the, the church is like, wow, that was rad. They're celebrating. And then now there's people hearing their language and they're thinking, man, somebody must have had a party. Verse 13, look, they must be drunk. Somebody had a rager last night. But you know what Peter says? Nah, it's only nine o'clock. That's not a very Baptist thing to say. That's what he says. It's only nine o'clock. So obviously they knew what that looked like. I'm not saying it's a good thing because it's not. Um, but this is not what's going on. You have the incidents at Pentecost, but then you you sit there and say, oh, that's what happened. Why does it matter? What, what is so significant about this? What has changed in this moment aside from this really odd occurrence on the history books? Why is it significant? Well, we saw the incidents at Pentecost. Let's look at the information. In verses 14 through 36, you have a lot of stuff going on here. So I'm going to try to be succinct, but I'm going to try to help you to gather it. In verse 16, you see that Peter stands up with the eleven. In other words, he's the one probably preaching and they're the ones explaining it. Kind of like a, a, a Ezra chapter 8 or is it, no, Nehemiah chapter 8 scenario where Ezra came and read the book of the law and then the, the, the Levites were explaining it to the people and, and telling what it meant. Peter stands up and he says that fellow Jews, all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain to you and pay attention to my words. I'm going I'm to give you the information. These people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In other words, this means that prophecy has been fulfilled on this day. That what was promised by the Lord through the prophet Joel has come to completion. That in the, it will be in the last days, says God, that I'm going to pour my spirit on all people. That's a huge deal. We've talked about this before, that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would descend 
on certain people, but He would only be on certain people, not all people. That was unheard of. And He would be on a certain person at a certain time for a certain task, and if they were not certainly obedient, sometimes it was certain that God would depart from that person. Imagine what incredible fear that is. That's why you see David write in Psalm 51, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Because that was a legitimate fear for David. It is not a fear to be held by the New Testament believer because Jesus has already said, I am going to give you the Holy Spirit and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That is not a conditional promise. That is an absolute promise by an absolute God. And so that's being fulfilled in this moment that those who are followers of the Lord are being filled. That what God had promised, He has provided. And not only what Joel had promised, but what Jesus had promised. I would encourage you over the next week to read John 14-16. through Those three chapters there. And see that this moment here is an awesome, awesome reminder of God's promise-keeping nature. That the promises that Jesus made, that He was going to send the Spirit of truth, the Comforter, the Counselor, this is the same Holy Spirit, God Himself. It's not an it, it is Him. He has kept His promise. Prophecy that was spoken by the Lord is fulfilled. It also means something else. This puts a little pep in our step, a little kick in our boots, and a little um, nudge, if you will. It will be in the last days. In other words, with this moment, this turning point in history, the marker that we live in the last days, that every day that Jesus that we live is a day closer to Jesus' return, it has been launched. Now, I have no idea when that will be. It could be in the next 200 days. It could be in the next 200 years. It could be in the next 2,000 years. But I do know this, Jesus has promised that He will return and I can trust His promise to be ready whether it be in my day or another's day. Let us live as the last days are here because Jesus has fulfilled the promise. It has dawned. We are not to just live our life lackadaisically as if we have an infinite amount of time. It also means that everyone can know God intimately. Verses 17 through, through 21 says, I will even pour out my spirit on servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. It says that young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. I'm, I'm going to pour out this on all people. means that everyone can know God intimately. There's not a person, regardless of their position in life, regardless of their background, that's going to keep them from the Lord. And also, one of the beautiful things here, notice all the people that have gathered. Notice all the people that are there. 
those names that we consider strange when we look at them. The, the Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and those who live in Mesopotamia, and Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and the parts of Libya, near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, and both Jews and converts. So this is both Jewish people and those that were not Jewish people, but had aligned themselves with the Jewish God, and Cretans and Arabs. They heard them declaring the magnificent acts of God in their own tongues. Now, Sometimes we see those and we just think those names are unimportant and that kind of thing. This is where a good study Bible or sometimes those maps in the back of the Bible that we looked at when we were kids when we were trying to be entertained while the preacher was preaching come in handy. Don't, don't laugh. You did it. I did it. Or maybe I'm just confessing. I don't know. But if you have a map that shows this is where a good study Bible comes in play, you see this is not just like, oh, just a few people near Palestine. Palestine. No, this is people down in Arabia. This is people over by the Caspian Sea where Iran is today. Uh, this is people near the uh, southern part of Russia. This is people near the Black Sea, the modern-day Turkey. This is people in Greece. This is people in Rome. This is people in northern Africa. God is reaching the multitudes in one dynamic moment to say, I am committing the gospel and my grace to all people. That is a holy cow awesome moment. It should make you be so thankful that, wow, I have a big God who doesn't say, I just take a particular brand or branch of people. No, he says, I want to reach all people with the gospel. And in this moment, they, the nations were in their backyard. So God was speaking to the nations while they were in their backyard. But make no mistake, God didn't limit there. He says, not only am I going to tell you to speak to the nations that are in your own backyard, I'm going to send you to their backyard. Because everyone, everyone can know God intimately. When they choose to follow the Lord Jesus. When they hear the message of the Gospel, they can trust in Him and be His. And this is where it leads to the next aspect. It means that every disciple should make God known faithfully. It's our calling so that they might know. People can get a glimpse and a glimmer of God being a God of order by looking at the design of the universe around them. People can even get a design that there may be a God who cares about emotions and relationships because of the emotions that we have. But don't miss out on this. Please don't miss out on this. Don't let, you know, um, the Pokemon game that you might be playing miss out on this. Help me, help you, I want to help you see this. It means that every disciple should make God known faithfully. While God appoints some people, I know this, to the servants of the, to, as servants to the office of pastor, or deacon, or elder. God does appoint some there. But God has also declared every believer is called to proclaim. Every one of us is called to make Him known faithfully. And Peter is not saying here that every believer has the gift of prophecy, but every believer here gets to share in what Jesus has fulfilled. That they get the general privileges and 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 responsibility of Old Testament prophets. Here's what the Old Testament prophets got. A very intimate relationship with God and the ability to speak what God had said. Every one of us gets that. We get a very intimate relationship with God because of His grace, and then we get to make it known to others what He has said. And we do it now because we have His Word completed before us. We can know Jesus Christ as the Lord God personally and grow in the grace and knowledge through the revealed Word. 
And like the prophets, we must be held responsible to share that Word to the world. You see all of these moments being intertwined. And what's so incredible about this, what happens here is a launching point. It's a birth of something new. To where the Gospel gets carried and disseminated throughout the known world by non-professionals. By non-professionals. Not all 3,000 that we're going to see in a minute, all of them were pastors. That's not it. Not all of them were deacons. Not all of them were elders. Not all of them were called as you know fully vocational missionaries. Some of them are doctors like Luke. Some of them are tax collectors. Some of those are just road warriors. And they go and they carry the message. Road warriors like Simon the Zealot. That's why I'm saying that word. Pentecost means why it's so significant that every believer can know God truly and make Him known faithfully. And we see this gracious moment. It also shows us what Peter says. He draws us and says, this is what God has fulfilled because the Old Testament already promised it. But he doesn't miss out on the story. He says, this is how it's fulfilled. This Jesus that all of you kind of know something about. Some of you were not here seven weeks ago. Many of you were because the Jewish people that were devout would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for those festivals to be with their people to make their offerings. They were pretty faithful. So many of them would have been there just seven weeks earlier at Passover to see and know what was going on in the city of Jesus being there in the temple and then Jesus being arrested and Jesus being crucified. So they had a general knowledge of Jesus. Some had a more specific knowledge of Jesus. But Paul, I mean, Peter takes that moment and says, here's what you know of Jesus, but I want to tell you what you don't know. I want to help you see the person that is this Jesus. I want you to see the promise that God was making known to him. I want you to see the provision that was done through him through his crucifixion and resurrection. And I want you to see the power that he has now as Messiah. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. And though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, there's the promise, You used lawless people to nail Him to a cross and kill Him. But that was not the end. God raised Him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by death. He goes on to say in verse 32, God has raised this Jesus and we are witnesses of all these. Therefore, since He has been exalted to the right hand of God and God has received Him from the Father, promised Holy Spirit is poured out and what you both see and hear right now, Therefore, let it be known to the house of Israel to know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The information about what happened here is inextricably. It cannot be separated from what Jesus has fulfilled. Without Jesus, Pentecost doesn't happen. Without Jesus, the church does not exist. Without without Jesus, there is no new new life. Without Jesus, there is no growth because new life didn't exist. Without Jesus, there is no resurrection. But because of Jesus, prophecy is fulfilled. The promise has been made known. The, the, the push towards the last days is there. The, the love of God to all believers is there. 
And what we see in this, and I'm not going to spend a long time here, is the increase from Pentecost. We'll talk about this more in a couple of weeks. The outcome of Peter's preaching in this moment and just giving them and relating what they knew about Jesus and telling them this is what they were missing, it says they are convicted of their guilt. It tells us that, that they're pierced because they realize they're objects of God's wrath. And he says, what must we do? The people long to be free from, from condemnation. And here's what they uh, so awesome. They didn't have to wait for Peter to give an invitation where he says, all right, I'm about to conclude and here's what you need to do. No, they're eager. They're like, I got to follow through what God wants me to do. Just tell me what it is. They're asking. Because the Holy Spirit is doing what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is, is pulling, if you will, a, a John 14, 16 through 17 through Peter that he is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him. Or know him, but you know him, and he remains in you and be with you. So Peter is compelled to speak because the Holy Spirit's doing what the Holy Spirit does. And then the people, they're receiving what the Holy Spirit does. That when he comes, he will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. See, this is not only the outcome of Peter's preaching, he's being faithful with following the Spirit's lead, it is also the outcome of the Spirit's power. This sermon shows how the Spirit of God it takes the Gospel that's faithfully proclaimed. When we're obedient to do that which God says do, how God can use that mightily and work in people's lives. We exalt Jesus through our witness and we pray that he would have his way with conviction. There's this divine side and human side of conversion. The human side is they must repent. Jesus, Peter tells them, you must repent and believe. This is your public declaration by being baptized. Whenever Peter says this, that's a big deal, by the way. It's not just like, oh, we're going to have this system now where people get dunked. It says, you're going to identify with Jesus publicly by this. That your faith is not just a mere personal decision. It is that, but it's also a very public decision. One that people will be able to witness and say, oh, you just outed yourself as a follower of Jesus. And you say, yes, yes, I did. But it's also a divine side where the Holy Spirit does the work. Peter is faithful by calling people to respond to the Lord But he's also allowing the Lord to work. And the Lord does work. I had no idea how many people were in the city of Jerusalem at the time. But I do know the increase here is significant. That In the moment of Peter sharing a rather simple sermon, 3,000 people get saved. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit, not the work of Peter. Peter's just a tool in the Spirit's hand. But something new means something's different. We want to know what does it mean. It means something is different. When we follow Jesus, life changes. Things are different. The church is not just some charitable organization. It's not just a social place where we just follow the rules of be nice to each other and, and then uh, a democratic process. That's not what it's about. It's about a people who are led of the Lord to have an impact through the Lord. 
So how do we apply this? What do we do with this as we prepare to depart today? I would tell you first, be encouraged by what Jesus can do. His promise of the Holy Spirit is so good. Don't downplay that and say, I don't have enough. Be encouraged. Jesus used some roughneck dudes that were considered uneducated. And the Lord used him mightily. Be equipped by Jesus. Learn from Him. And whenever you have a curiosity of question, go to someone that is a stronger brother, a more knowledgeable sister, and say, show me in the Word. What does this mean? Be equipped and learn. Be evangelical through Jesus. Be a person that shares the good news. And trust that God will do what only He can do with that faithfulness. Be exalting of Jesus. Worship Him. Turn your joyful moments and say, no, I'm not just having a good time. I know the Lord. Be earnest with Jesus. Love Him. And be eager for Jesus. We are in the last days. It's quite a ride from here on out. We don't know how long those last days will be, but let's live it fully, saying, Jesus, we can't wait to be with you until you return. But because we're earnest for you, we're encouraged by you, we're equipped through you, we exalt you, we're eager for you. Do what you will with your church. Let's pray. Lord God, today, I thank you for your great love to us. I thank you for your instruction to us. I thank you for your leadership of your church, that you have not left us alone, that we have no reason for cowardice because you, God, are with us and will never leave us. But we also have no reason for conceit because it is you that does the greater work as we are faithful in following you. So Jesus, in this moment where we have the... um, opportunity to respond faithfully to what you have shared with us from your word help us be faithful to respond in jesus name amen when i have this time i'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed to give you a chance to respond to whatever the lord is compelling you to do i am here at the front and if you have questions and you want to know what does this mean what is my next step i want to be here for you whether that means your first step with the Lord and trusting in Him for salvation and saying, I need Jesus to give me the peace that I don't have with God. I'd love to help you see what that means. But whatever the Lord is sharing, you follow as He leads because He never leads us astray.